Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Psalm 21, beginning at verse 1. O Lord, the King rejoices in your strength. How great is his joy in the victories you give. You have granted him the desire of his heart and have not withheld the request of his lips. You welcomed him with rich blessings and placed a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked you for life and you gave it to him. Length of days, forever and ever. Through the victories you gave, His glory is great. You have bestowed on him splendor and majesty. Surely you have granted him eternal blessings and made him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord. Through the unfailing love of the Most High, he will not be shaken. Your hand will lay hold on all your enemies. Your right hand will seize your foes. At the time of your appearing, you will make them like a fiery furnace. In his wrath, the Lord will swallow them up, and his fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth, their posterity from mankind. Though they plot evil against you and devise wicked schemes, they cannot succeed. For you will make them turn their backs when you aim at them with drawn bow. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your might. Well, if you could be turning back in your Bibles to uh, Psalm uh, 21, which we had read to us just a little earlier, that's page uh, 553, and uh, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we look at this psalm together, uh, please open our eyes to the truth, to the reality around us. Uh, Please engage our minds Keep our attention. Uh, Most of all, please warm our hearts. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory, splendor, and majesty. Amen. We were on a family holiday in France last year and uh, decided, as you do, that it would be fun to spend a day on a high ropes course. Uh, Forget all the sightseeing and culture and fine food we said to one another. What we need is some vertigo. Uh, Now, I've been on some high ropes courses before in the the UK, uh, so I didn't think it would be uh, that much of a big deal. But then, you know, this was France, and uh, I had to say quite a lot of it really didn't feel that safe. And uh, there was one part of it on the, the black run part of the course 
that four out of five of us found unexpectedly hard. A really long stretch, very high between two rather thin-looking trees. And I found myself looking down at my feet, wobbling on a very unstable plank, and down to the ground, very, very, very long way beneath. And, you know, it's quite a shaky moment. And it can be like that, can't it, in, in the Christian life. We, we have a wobble. We uh, misdirect our attention and focus. And uh, we find ourselves looking at ourselves and focused on our immediate circumstances. And we, we forget all sorts of things that we know to be true. And it can be all quite shaky and uh, really quite dangerous spiritually. It can happen in all sorts of ways, of course. Uh, we think of our Christian brothers, sisters in many parts of the world facing the, the threat of physical violence every day. We were praying about them just earlier, quite rightly. Uh, there's a charity called Open Doors that you may know about, and they, they rate the persecution levels in all sorts of different countries. And they rate the persecution level in nine countries as extreme. Uh, the list is topped by uh, North Korea, Iraq, and Eritrea. And in 41 others, it is very high or high. That covers quite a few countries in the world then, doesn't it? And in those countries, we've got Christian brothers and sisters struggling every day. And uh, you can imagine that being pretty shaky. I can imagine, you know, if someone you love is, is hurt or, or killed in front of you, it's inevitably, inevitably almost uh, going to make you wobble, knock you sideways, you know, I can imagine myself in that situation being very deeply tempted to tone down or dial back my Christian faith, ministry and commitment. Or these kinds of wobbles, they can happen in more personal ways. Christians throughout history have frequently been knocked back in their lives through struggles with personal sin. Um, it can lead them to despair. I can think of a number of people I've known that reaching the, the point of exhaustion in, the, in that battle just feeling too tired to keep going, uh, finding the idea of giving up really quite attractive. Uh, all the wobbles can happen in more subtle ways. We can be seduced out of our faith in other ways too. Our, our, our non-Christian friends and neighbours around us, well, you know, they seem to be doing okay. In fact, the fact for them, things look better and easier. And so we look at them and uh, perhaps that causes us, maybe even unconsciously, to, to hold back a little. Maybe again, unconsciously, to compromise. So what's the answer to this? Well, there is an answer. Um, and let me say that, well, in the Christian life, there are many things that are, that are quite complex. You know, there are, there, there are parts of the Bible that we find quite stretching. There's a theology that we find hard. There are ethical issues that can make our heads spin. You know, so some parts of the Christian life are very complex, but in one way, the Christian life is really quite simple. And we already know the answer. Uh, the answer is to focus on Jesus, and then we'll be fine. We find ourselves focusing on anything else, especially ourselves, and then things are going to go wrong, perhaps even dangerously wrong. I imagine tonight that most of us here, just we know that already, don't we? Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's the answer. 
very, very simple, at least in principle, but actually, of course, quite hard in practice. If you've been a Christian for any length of time at all, you know that it's actually quite hard in practice. But we can thank God tonight that he has not left us alone in this particular struggle. The whole Bible in different ways is here to present Jesus to us, to get us to refocus on him, to see him more clearly. And the Psalms, which we've been enjoying together these summer Sunday evenings, have their own role to play. Now, I think we'll see tonight that Psalm 21 suggests a particular answer to our problem. How exactly can, keep, can we keep our hearts and minds on Jesus? Well, Psalm 21 suggests by meeting together and celebrating him, by celebrating him in song. In the struggles of Christ, the Christian life, where the temptation is for our t- attention to wander back to ourselves, have your heart refocused on Jesus by singing about him. You can see from the, the heading of the psalm, which is part of the psalm, remember? The heading of the psalm, Psalm 21, uh, that it's for the director of music. It flags up very clearly that this is a song. In fact, if you uh, flip over and look at the very last verse of the psalm, uh, verse 13, Uh, you see that this uh, psalm is here to bring us to exalt the Lord and to sing and praise his might. That's uh, where the psalm ends up. And I think we'll see from what, uh, what we get in between that is that we do all of that, we do all of that by celebrating his king. We celebrate in song, having a king who rejoices in the Lord and to whom the Lord has already given great victories. We celebrate him confident in his ultimate victory. And for us, we'll see very, very clearly, that means celebrating Jesus. We're going to look at that in two parts tonight. Looking first at the first half of the psalm, and that'll be verses one to seven, how that helps us to celebrate having a king who rejoices in the Lord. And then looking at the second half, in which we'll be encouraged to celebrate his future victories on our behalf. So first then, join me and take a look at verses one to seven. Verses one to seven, celebrate a king who rejoices in the Lord and celebrate his past victories given to him through the strength of the Lord. Now listen first to God's people celebrating their king 3,000 uh, years ago. Remember that these people, the, the, the first singers, readers and singers of this psalm uh, would have been people just like us in many ways, struggling to have uh, the right vision and perspective, worried about the future, easily distracted with cold and wandering hearts, too much focused on themselves, a bit like me, remember on the high ropes course in France, staring at my feet. And for them, uh, we need to remember this, I think. For them, life would have been even harder than it is for us. They would have uh, lived closer to poverty, mal- malnutrition. Life expectancy would have been considerably lower. The death and illness of loved ones more frequent. The world then was even more violent than it is today. There's certainly no international war crimes tribunal back then. Uh, and so there was more than enough to distract them and cause them to worry. So the Lord, in his kindness gets their king, David, the psalm of David, 
to write them a song of celebration about their king. At first glance, as we were thinking about last week with Psalm 20, that might seem a rather self-centred thing for David to do, an act perhaps worthy of a North Korean president. Come, my people, sing about me. Until that is, we look more closely at the kind of king they're encouraged to celebrate here. You can see it at the beginning of the section we're looking at in verse one. Verse one, O Lord, the king rejoices in your strength. And uh, you see it if you flip over to the, at the end of the section, verse seven. For the king trusts in the Lord. You see, this is what they're celebrating. They're not celebrating their king just because he's their king. You know, any nation can do that. This is conditional. They're, they're celebrating their king because he rejoices in the strength of the Lord. He trusts the Lord. That is worth celebrating. We would love, I think, in Britain today to have political leaders like this. We can begin, perhaps, to see why this would be worth celebrating. But let's look a little more closely at that. Why exactly is a king like this so worth the people celebrating in a song? Well, in short, a king like this enjoys an intimate, powerful, loving relationship with the Lord. A relationship with the one who is most high over all the earth. Most high over everyone, including, of course, their enemies. And so because he's their king, in verse one, they can share in his joy the victories the Lord has given him. Verse two, because he's their king, they're delighted that the Lord uh, listens to his requests as he leads and serves them. Verse three, because he's their king, they can share in the rich blessings the Lord has given him. And so, of course, they're delighted, uh, verse four, that the Lord has granted him a long reign because, verse five, his rule is glorious, splendid and majestic and they just want it to keep going and going. Of course, they're celebrating. Of course, they're singing. They've got a king, verse six, who enjoys the deepest blessing in the intimate presence of the Lord. They have a king, verse seven, who because of the unfailing love of the Most High won't be shaken. Brilliant to have a king like that. And I think, you know, this would indeed have refocused the wandering attention of God's people. You know, it would have warmed their cold hearts. Uh, Life is hard. There's plenty to be worried about. There was plenty for them to be worried about back then, but there's one big thing to celebrate. We have a king who rejoices in the Lord. Who exactly is this king? That's worth thinking a little bit about the context here in the book of Psalms, right from the beginning of the book of Psalms, right from Psalm 2, in fact, we've been set up to expect a great king. The Lord's anointed. The one he calls his own son who will crush the enemies of the Lord, dashing them to pieces like pottery. In Psalm 20, which we were looking at last week, the people are praying for a victory for David over the Lord's enemies, just like that, just as it's described in Psalm 2. 
Here in Psalm 21, they seem to be celebrating the fact that he has been given a victory by the Lord and they're expecting further victories in the future, as we'll see. This, remember, is a psalm of David. And at the height of his reign, King David really does seem to have been the hoped-for king of Psalm 2. He sort of seems to fit the bill. And the king rightly celebrated here in Psalm 21, the king who rejoices in the strength of the Lord, the king who trusts the Lord. But of course, it turns out not to be quite as simple as that. It's true that uh, sometimes David did fit the picture of the king here in Psalm 21, but at other times, not. And then, of course, David died. Uh, Verse four of this psalm uh, now doesn't seem to fit. Life for ever and ever? Really? Uh, Verse six also doesn't seem to quite fit anymore. Surely you've granted him eternal blessings, made him glad with the joy of your presence? Really? In the grave? And if David ceases to be a good fit, though the king's following him, his descendants certainly are not a good fit at all. Far worse, in fact. Far from rejoicing in the Lord, they turn from him and they lead the nation into destruction and into ruin. Now, most of us here this, this evening know that that's not the end of the story, of course. In fact, you might say that one reason we've, we're here tonight is to celebrate that that is not the end of the story. The Lord has made promises about a king, remember? He's anointed one, the Messiah or the Christ. A king so close to him that he would call his son, the beloved. And we can celebrate tonight that the Lord has made good on his promises in Jesus Christ, King David's greater son. And in Jesus, we can celebrate that we have a perfect fit with this psalm. So we're thinking about last week, Jesus For the joy set before him endured the cross and won a victory over sin and death, a a victory greater than David could even dream about. How great, verse one, is his joy now in the victory he's been given. How great is that? He's now at the right hand of the Father, crowned Lord of Lords and King of Kings, bestowed, verse five, with splendor and majesty beyond measure. And in all of this, of course, what he asked for He has been given. He asked for life, like David in verse four, and his father has given him resurrection life, forever, genuinely eternal blessings. His father has also given him, we read about this in John's gospel, for example, life for his disciples, life which overflows for others. And he's praying for them too, praying for us, for our joy, for our holiness for our faith, for our unity with him and the Father and one another. So there may well be plenty for us to be worried about in our lives, but for us there's one big thing to celebrate nonetheless. We have a king who is the Lord. And so one very simple application of Psalm 21 for us is to to gather as the the psalm encourages us to do, to gather, to meet, and to sing these verses, or songs like it, that celebrate our King, the Lord Jesus. That's really 
what we've been doing tonight, isn't it? Three steps, remember, gather, celebrate, and sing. Because doing that's really going to help. It's going to take our minds and attention off any distractions around us. In particular, it's going to take our minds off ourselves and that particular danger, off all our anxieties and onto where our attention should be, onto the one who can connect us with God and his blessing, onto him. Uh, Now, I know as well as you do that going to church in itself doesn't uh, make you a Christian. But I also know that, humanly speaking, if people stop gathering, if people stop coming to church altogether, their chances of persevering in the Christian life are, frankly, pretty slim. One of the big tragedies in Christian ministry is seeing people uh, commit spiritual suicide in front of you. It's one of the most awful things that can happen. And one of the most common ways to commit spiritual suicide, uh, to begin that process, is to stop coming to church. It's a long and slow, painful, frustrating way to die, but it's pretty inevitable. I have some people very vividly in in my mind as I speak, even now in in great spiritual danger. And that danger is obvious because they've stopped gathering. They've stopped coming to church. And because they've stopped gathering, they, they can't celebrate. They can't sing with us. And uh, their hearts are very unlikely to be warmed. You probably know uh, others like this too. Collectively, we could, across the church family, we could be talking about hundreds of people. And given the seriousness of their situation, I think it's appropriate for us to be very mindful of them, to be praying for them, and even quite persistent with them, perhaps even more than we might feel comfortable with. Now, getting them back into, into church is, is only going to be part of the solution of them, for, of course, but... But Psalm 21 suggests it could be a very important part, an essential part. So it's, it's not enough perhaps to just have the one-off, are you coming to church, and just leave it at that and never come back to the issue. Better to ask that every week. It's great to, to send a few text messages. Better still to send a flood of them Perhaps we should be turning up at people's doors and saying, you know, would you like to come with me? I'm here, ready to take you, ready to go with you. And when we do come, when we do gather, we join in with the celebration. That's, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Which means we sing. Now, for some of us, and I include myself, it, it feels a, a weird thing to do. It's one of the weirdest things i found when I first became a Christian. There's no way that I would, I, I would sing in, in public otherwise. It's countercultural. First, it feels awkward, but still, we sing. I sometimes notice people on, uh, on a Sunday not singing. That's strange, I think. I, I, I kind of wonder about that. Now, there could be good reasons for that, very good reasons, uh, perhaps those people at that particular moment are just 
are perhaps they're not very ha- entirely happy with the words of a, of a particular song, can't in good conscience sing them. And let me say in passing that we're very concerned here at Christchurch to have words in our songs that are true and biblical and helpful. So if you, do, if you ever do have concerns about that, then do talk to, to Matt or someone else on the staff team. But maybe the reasons why people don't sing sometimes aren't good. Maybe, maybe they're thinking, well, I don't really like this song. In which case, let me remind you that we're not singing songs. We're not singing songs here because we like them. This is not some weekly music festival that we've gathered to enjoy. This is church. We're not even singing songs because we feel like singing songs. A lot of the time we may not feel like singing songs. But we're singing because it's good for us. And good for the people around us. Let me put it this way. We're singing songs to massage some life back into our cold heart faltering hearts. That's why we're singing songs. And remember the big idea here, the big idea is to take our attention away from things that might distract us back to where it should be. Not on ourselves, but on the Lord Jesus. The first seven verses here, we're celebrating the past victories of the king. Thinking especially, of course, about the Lord Jesus and his victory over sin and death on the cross. And now in the rest of the psalm, the rest of the psalm encourages us to be confident in his future victories. So we celebrate a king who rejoices in the Lord and then verses eight to 12, celebrate his future victories. And again, listen first to the confidence of God's people 3,000 years ago. Let me read from verse eight of the psalm to you. Your hand will lay hold on all your enemies. Your right hand will seize your foes. At the time of your appearing, you make them like a fiery furnace. In his wrath, the Lord will swallow them up and his fire will consume them. You'll destroy their descendants from the earth, their posterity from mankind. Though they plot evil against you and devise wicked schemes, they cannot succeed. For you'll make them turn their backs when you aim at them and draw bow. Seems a little rash perhaps to celebrate something that hasn't happened yet. That does seem to be what's going on here. Uh, We might hesitate to do that ourselves. We might hesitate to do that with the Olympics, uh, for example, even in the cycling. But such is the confidence of the people of God that they can celebrate. After all, the Lord has promised it, so it's as good as done. And there's no doubt about it, It is a fairly graphic description of what they're expecting. You may have wondered about that as we were reading it together. But it's not an unusual way to picture the judgment of God's enemies. And right at the heart of it is this imagery of fire. Verse 9, at the time of your appearings, you will make them like a fiery furnace. In his wrath, the Lord will swallow them up and his fire will consume them. And that idea is important. The fire is important, just, but not just because it's graphic and frightening, but because it's final. It speaks of the wiping out of evil forever, without a trace. Now, why is that significant? Why, that, why is that worth celebrating? Well, let, let's take a look at verse 11 in particular here. 
Though they plot evil against you and devise wicked schemes, they cannot succeed. And that's worth us celebrating today just as much as it was for God's people all those years ago. In fact, more so. Because of course, they they never really saw this happen. David did have um, victories against evil and against wicked people. But they were short-lived and it wasn't long before evil got the upper hand again. But for us, things are different. The Apostle Paul reminds us, this is from Acts chapter 17, God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. That's Jesus, our King. He's given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. That is a wonderful thing to celebrate. Pure justice. Evil wiped out. Gone forever. It's a great thing to celebrate. There may not be very many songs about that future for us to use. Uh, if you're a budding songwriter here this evening, that's, a, that's an application for you. But it's very definitely worth remembering and celebrating. And as we finish this evening, uh, to see why, let me take you back to, to that high, high ropes course I was mentioning at the beginning. I said that four out of five of us were having trouble Uh, But one of us, and I have to say it wasn't me, uh, just set her sights uh, not on her feet, but on the platform we were heading for and just shot off with no worries at all. And that's the kind of thing we're trying to emulate in the Christian life. We remember what we know to be true and we set our sights on where we're going and off we go. What our God is reminding us of tonight is is that gathering together to celebrate our King really can help us regain that perspective and focus. Uh, Take the Christian facing violent persecution. Uh, Now singing in itself can be helpful, can't can't it? Singing together in the face of adversity can be a helpful thing. But even better, of course, if the content is good and that song can be turned into a genuine celebration of the truth Even better still if the songs are about Jesus uh, reigning even now in splendour and majesty. Even better still for those people if the songs can remind them of the justice to come, that there will be justice for them and that the evil violence against them is actually, against appearances, futile. That there's no need for them to hide, there's no need for them to hate, there's no need for them to seek revenge. Wonderful if they can sing in ways that remind them of those things. Or take the Christian battling with with personal sin. Uh, I guess, um, tragically, he or she might be tempted not to come to church at all out of despair. But that, of course, would be a huge mistake. And this psalm suggests it would be a huge mistake because here they can celebrate Jesus. They can be reminded of what they know to be true, that he is already victorious over sin, that those who would have them dead and destroyed because of their sin have already been disarmed on the cross. And even better, they can celebrate Jesus judging the world with justice in the future. Because there, they can see the lie that they're being sold broken. They can see that sin has no future, has no benefit to it. The path leads nowhere good. And they can see the people who try, have been trying to benefit from their sin, who were telling them that it was okay, who were deceiving them, 
they can see those people brought to account. Or likewise, when we look at uh, friends or, and, and neighbours and, and the non-Christian life looks strangely attractive. Well, it doesn't look nearly so attractive, does it, when we're reminded of where it's heading. And of course, we know these things in our, in our heads. We, could, we can perhaps vaguely talk to one another about them. But the thing is, do we really believe it? Do we really believe that that is what the future is all about? I mean, deep down in our hearts so that it shapes our faith and loves. It's hard, really hard, isn't it, to believe these things deeply. But gathering to celebrate in song helps. This is what we're seeing in Psalm 21. It really, really helps. So I'm going to pray for us a short prayer. And then appropriately, we're going to sing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do confess this evening that we need your help. Uh, We need your help to refocus on the truth and to refocus on the Lord Jesus, our King, who rejoices in you more than we could imagine. Whereas victory is because of your strength, greater than we could dream of, whose future, in whose hands the future is absolutely secure, as we've been thinking about tonight. And so we pray that you would help us to be those who are willing to gather together and to help one another in that, willing to celebrate Jesus and to help one another in that, and willing to sing and to help one another in that too. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.